Welcome to the Full Dig Podcast. Today we will discuss chapter 18 of Jeremiah. Jeremiah receives divine instructions for another symbolic action. This time he is to observe the local potter at work and remind Israel that Yahweh's role is analogous to the potter who does as he wishes with the clay. And God as the sovereign has an absolute right to deal with the nations according to their conduct towards him, illustrated in a tangible way by the potter's molding of vessels from clay. Join pastors Kirk Sexton and Bruce Johnson as we discuss the illustration and the people's response. Welcome to the Full Dig Podcast. I'm Pastor Kirk Sexton, back in the saddle with my good friend and colleague, Pastor Bruce Johnson. That Western song is just going through my head, back is in it? the saddle again. I know. I it's know. good to see you, Kirk. We should have some horse galloping, you know, or trotting music. Empty coconuts clopping <laughs> together, <laughs> exactly. like Monty Python, right? Exactly. Uh, yeah. Or else some kind of strumming, you know, boom, ba doo doom ba Well, anyway, it's, it is good um, to be back with you, Bruce. I've been away on my sabbatical, as you know, and... We had some uh, great fill-in hosts, and they did a great job. I was real impressed. Well, it was very kind of them to uh, fill in, and, and I agree with you. They, they did a great job, but yeah. it's uh, good to have you back in, in, in your old stomping grounds, our old stomping grounds here in the Full Dig Recording Studio. I did feel like I was missing out because you did start Jeremiah in my, in my absence, and so I was missing being here with all the start of the programming and the midweek study groups and such, but I'm very grateful for uh, a chance to jump in here in the middle of the week. I'm excited. Well, you're so full of vim and vigor. We'll let you read the passage we're going to be looking at. Okay. Uh, the first uh, 11 or 12 verses of Jeremiah chapter 18. Very good. So Jeremiah 18, 1 through 11, listen to the word of the Lord. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, Can I? not do with you, Israel, as the potter does, declares the Lord, like clay in the hand of the potter, so you are in my hand, Israel. If at any time I announce that a nation or a kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or a kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. Now, therefore, say to the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. Look, I'm preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. So turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions. But they will reply, it is no use. We will continue with our own plans. 
we will all follow the stubbornness of our evil hearts. And that continues through verse 12. Mm. Uh, follow the stubbornness of our evil hearts. Um, Pastor Steve, when he was preaching on this, did not read that far. Right. But it's important to understand that there was a reaction to Jeremiah's uh, sermon about the potter. Not many should sign up to be prophets. No, he had a very d- difficult time. Yeah, I really well, feel for him. Well, Kirk, you've been thinking about Jeremiah as you've been on sabbatical. Yes. And and you are talking about uh, the approach of thinking about the book of Jeremiah as different themes that are presented one by one. Well, and there's challenges when you're looking at a book of the size of Jeremiah. Do you know that it's 5.2% of the Bible? My goodness. So it's, it's like... Uh, Wyoming, which is well, probably 5.2% of the surface area of the United States, yes. something like that. But it, it's, it is long, and it's kind of hard to study it in that way. And so I was um, listening to a, a scholar who suggested maybe you look at it maybe thematically, hmm. and he saw that like chapters 2 through 29 is, is all about the sin that brings judgment. And then different from Jeremiah, from other prophets, is the idea that there is renewal, but usually that's kind of in the end, but in Jeremiah, it's in the middle. So chapters 30 through 33 are about renewal and redemption. And then um, the judgment follows in uh, Jeremiah 34 through 51. So we're still in that area of sort of the sin that that is bringing judgment here in this chapter. Which is why the language that that Jeremiah is using here, the approach that he is using, it's familiar. We've heard Jeremiah do this sort of thing before. Yes. I mean, this this word, this this language we hear kind of repeated, the idea of, of disaster or being uprooted or torn down or destroyed. This is language the, the Lord uses for... Uh, for judgment as well. So I don't know if that's a neat way to look at that, but it's just probably another way uh, to look at this uh, this book, possibly. Well, like you, I've been looking at different commentaries on Jeremiah, trying to get a handle on that. And I ran across one that was by Derek Kidner, who's out of the UK. And he was zeroing in on the historical context of this section, uh, J- Jeremiah and the Potter, and then Jeremiah and the pottery in the next chapter, and then uh, the result of what Jeremiah says about the molding of the clay and then the pottery that's uh, fired and hardened and destroyed. And that scholar places this in the reign of Jehoiakim. Now, uh, in the overview of Jeremiah, we talked about Jeremiah doing his work as a prophet during the last five kings of Judah. Mm. He starts with uh, Josiah. Josiah is a reforming king, one who announces spiritual reform for the country. He's like a good one. He's a good one. (laughs) And then the other four kings that uh, Jeremiah preaches under are all labeled as bad kings in the Bible. So it's the middle of these five kings. And uh, what had happened was uh, Josiah um, comes and he's king. And he goes on for a while, and Jeremiah is appointed prophet in the 13th year of his reign. In the 18th year of his reign, that's when he does the reforms. That's when he does a turnaround. He Mm. understands 
the need for religious renewal in the mm. country. And he's very good with that. But then he goes out and fights a battle against Pharaoh mm-hmm. and dies. Mm-hmm. And then his son takes over as the new king. And the Pharaoh that killed the father boots out the son and puts in his brother. His mm-hmm. brother is Jehoiakim. And mm-hmm. Jehoiakim is beholden to the Pharaoh because uh, you know, he put him in power. Right. So that's where he sets uh, the scholar, uh, Derek Kidner. He sets this chapter of Jeremiah in that uh, newly ascended king. So right after King Josiah has died, and here's a new king that's not necessarily friendly to uh, Jeremiah's words or God's words through Jeremiah. And so Jeremiah gives this image of clay being molded at the potter's wheel. And he says, you know, we're at a tipping point here. Mm -hmm. If you continue with the religious reforms or renewals of your predecessor, your father, King Mm -hmm. Josiah, you know, it'll go well. But if you trust in foreign powers, well, God can wipe out countries, wipe out the powers that you've trusted in. Um, who, you, who are you going to trust in? Right. Are you going to be molded by um, what God says is right? Or are you going to be molded by what your um, power, the uh, national power that puts you into your role as king, are you going to be holden to that person's perspective? Mm. So it's really this invitation to, you know, figure out what's going on and, and make a choice uh, for the new king. So he's speaking to the leadership to say, you need to get this straightened out or this judgment's going to come your ways. Exactly. Um, in the judgment that uh, we looked at last week, um, Jeremiah had used the phrase and talked about a part in the valley of Hinnom called Topheth. And Topheth is now used by archaeologists to designate where a cemetery is that they've discovered that has bones of children Mm. uh, that they think have been uh, ritually sacrificed. Mm. So children that have met a horrible end. Mm. And that's what was going on in the Valley of Hinnom. Mm. Children were being sacrificed to foreign deities. Right. So King Josiah desecrated that. But in chapter 19, we have Jeremiah talking about Topheth again, saying to the royal house and to other houses in Judah and in Jerusalem, they'll be like Topheth. They'll be defiled and destroyed. So he's upping the game. It does speak to that verse 12, that they would uh, not do it. They're going to continue to follow their evil hearts. So it's interesting to compare this chapter, chapter 18, to what goes on the next chapter we talked about. Uh, It's no longer clay that can be molded, but now it's fired clay. And Jeremiah goes, and Mm. uh, now he has a different trip to where the potter is working. Oh, interesting. So uh, let me read a little bit of that. This Mm -hmm. is from uh, Jeremiah chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. This is what the Lord says. Go and buy a clay jar from a potter. Take along some of the elders of the people of the priests. And go to the valley of Ben-Hinnom, near the entrance to the potsherd gate. There proclaim the words I tell you, and say, Hear the word of the Lord, you kings of Judah and people of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Listen, 
I am going to bring a disaster on this place that will make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle. For they have forsaken me and made this place of foreign gods. They have burned incense in it to gods that neither they nor their ancestors nor the kings of Judah ever knew. And they have filled this place with the blood of the innocent. They have built the high places of Baal to burn their children in fire as an offering to Baal, something I did not command or mention, nor did it enter my mind. So beware the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer call this place Topheth, or the valley of Ben-Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. And then a little later on, uh, beginning at verse 10, God tells Jeremiah, Then break the jar while those who go with you are watching, and say to them, This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will smash this nation and this city just as this potter's jar is smashed and cannot be repaired. They will bury the dead in Topheth until there is no more room. This is what I will do to this place and to those who live here, declares the Lord. I will make this city like Topheth. The houses of Jerusalem and those of the kings of Judah will be defiled like this place, Topheth. All the houses where they burned incense on the roofs to all the starry hosts and poured out drink offerings to other gods. Yeah, so they would worship on the roofs. And I read that this is, in addition to the Baal and Moab, what you kind of would expect them because it's an agricultural sort of economy. Um, you would think that having deities, I if put, you were going to blend them, right. you know, even though, you know, Jeremiah says, hey, that's the living God that's providing for your crops, not Baal, not Moab. But you can see where they would look to like deities of, you know, harvest and those kinds of things. Uh, but this uh, worshiping on the roofs of your houses to these where uh, Jeremiah says starry hosts, um, that was Egyptian deities. Right. Remember, so, the, uh, it was the pharaoh that had killed Josiah, deposed uh, Josiah's son Jehoiakim. And then uh, put in place uh, the brother Jehoiakim. Yeah, yeah. Uh, always difficult to get those two brothers uh, straight. Right. But, but it really makes a lot of sense when you start to, when you read a little more into 19 to see that. So I'm glad you added that. Yeah, so it's, uh, for us today, it's where are we going to put our trust? Mm. You know, and there's always voices clamoring to uh, get our attention to mold and shape us. Mm -hmm. uh, we've often heard other researchers talk about the fact that for followers of Christ, we have more discipleship that takes place via social media or news organizations or um, the internet than shaping that happens in a church or a, a Bible study. Mm. And that gives me pause. You know, what, what forces are shaping me Right. Uh, and I'm a, am I paying attention to that? Yes. And am I letting God shape me? Uh, or am I becoming just lazy, just going along with whatever the cultural forces are at the time? It really is a, it makes us want to, as Christians, to be in God's word so that we're hearing that voice and not the words and, and the voices of our culture. Who are or have a totally different message 
So it's just a good reminder to just be immersed in Scripture, be be molded and shaped by what God says about us and not what the culture says. And be around other Christian friends that can exactly uh, uh, make sure that we're keeping on track. You yeah. know, we need people in our lives uh, that are able to tell us, what do you think you're doing? Right. <laughs> Snap right. out of it. Yes. Um, well, that's what I've always said. It's good for me to be in the church as a, you know, as a servant. I'm working in the church, but I, I do benefit by being, you know, around other Christians who, who call me on my stuff on occasion when it needs to be called out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, right. And then we have the privilege of encouraging one another. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is, you know, the greatest privilege I think we have in life, to encourage one another. Yes, there's a lot of talk about discipleship in the day that, you know, the church has failed in this area of discipleship and that we need to do this or doing that and doing this and doing that. And what, what do you think about discipleship for us? I mean, do you think the church has failed? What, what do we need to be doing to be doing a better job of discipling others? Well, you know, sometimes you just have to stick your nose down and get back to basics, you know, and uh, caring about people and checking on them. You know, let's come around and let's uh, open up scripture together. Let's worship. Let's sing or, or um, hear music played. Uh, let, let's spend time doing what is good. Let's spend time serving other people in the name of Christ. I've had a, a lot of time on my sabbatical to be alone and so, there's a lot of solitude. I do have to say being back in worship was just wonderful for me, uh, for my heart. And uh, actually during the uh, the anthem, I actually kind of got a little teary-eyed uh, being back in worship with everyone on Sunday. It was awesome. Yeah, and uh, during the contemporary service, at the end of it, my wife asked for my handkerchief. She was getting a little teary-eyed. Oh, so, yeah. awesome. Yeah. Well, I think those are good indications we had a good day of worship. I think it, yeah. they are, absolutely. So you have in our uh, notes here to uh, look at the Galatians text, uh, five sixteen through 24. That kind of speaks to this idea of discipleship, or how does God go about making us holy? Do you want to share that with us? Sure. Uh, not Jeremiah, but Isaiah used the image of the potter, and God being the potter, and we... We are the clay, mm -hmm. and a lot of um, songs and imagery and Christian poetry is uh, drawn from that. And in Galatians 5, it zeroes in on how God is molding and shaping us by the Holy Spirit. And, uh, well, let me read this. This okay. is from Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 24. And this is Paul writing this, the Apostle Paul. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. 
I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So a couple things are going on here. It's saying we've got to be attentive. You know, we can't just let things slide. Uh, if we are inattentive, we'll go back to patterns that are self-destructive and destructive in relationships. Mm-hmm. But if we're led by the Spirit, something happens. Led by the Spirit, God's Holy Spirit within us, guiding us. And we produce uh, good things. We produce virtues mm-hmm. that are admirable, things that we want more and more of in our life. Mm-hmm. So Paul's saying, well, God wants us of you. The Holy Spirit is working uh, on you and in you towards those virtuous ends. So let the Spirit do the work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's really good. Well, in each of our podcasts, we do spend some time looking at archaeology. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about pottery this week and Bruce, you have some uh, things you want to share about that? Well, we've talked about different pottery. And, of course, this chapter, chapter 18, and the following chapter 19 are about uh, potters and and pottery. Um, At one point, Jeremiah leaves through the potsherd gate, which is probably a gate that leads into the Hinnom Valley, which was used as a place where they would burn refuse for the city, burn garbage for the city. But pottery itself uh, is one of the first indications that a site has been occupied by human beings, that a city or a village used to be there. If you see pottery in the ground, broken pieces of pottery, that's an indication that it was an inhabited site at some point. And you can take the time to study different types of pottery. Uh, you might think of um, what a kitchen looked like in the 1970s. Do you remember the 1970s? You know, Harvest Gold kitchens and avocado green. And avocado green, I remember for sure. My mom loved avocado green. She loved gold leaf and avocado green. I remember even our kitchen was painted avocado green. Was it? Yes. Were, were, were the appliances also avocado green or were they Harvest Gold? <laughs> I don't remember the font. I don't know if I remember the, the but I remember the avocado green. Uh, painted on the walls, and I remember a kitchen had um, a carpeting in it. It was that was really different. Wow, you I'd know? hate to have a grease fire in that kitchen. Or exactly. Yeah. yeah, and so anyway, but that's an example that if we saw a kitchen from the 1970s, mm-hmm. comparing that to a kitchen day, we'd say, oh gosh, that looks like it's not uh, up to date. It looks like it's from another era. And you have a, a book on pottery, and it's is a book from the era of Jeremiah? Yeah, that was a, a dig I was on in, an archaeological dig I was on in Jerusalem, and uh, it had remains from the time of Jeremiah. That's neat. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, just as we can tell differences in um, common household items from different decades, so you can do that over the course of centuries. Uh, we know something about the pottery that was used in uh, Colonial Williamsburg, for example. Mm-hmm. And we know the pottery that was used in New Testament period and in the Old Testament period. Uh, the thickness of pottery, whether it was um, glazed and burnished, 
which are uh, techniques kind of a putting a slip on the pottery and then rubbing it with another piece of pottery to make it shiny. Mm. Different ways you can have different finishes on pottery. Mm. Uh, early pottery is just like a pinch uh, pot, not on a wheel, something that we all did in kindergarten, or many of us did in kindergarten, making pinch pots. Right, right. And then the, the next step is where you roll the clay into coils and uh, put the coils in a circle and, and make bowls that way. Right, right. And then you move to a potter's wheel. And Jeremiah comes to where a potter is, and he's working on a wheel because they advanced in technology at that point. Right. Well, and I, I brought up to you prior to our going live with our podcast that Calvin has a word, um, if I can, ebonim, is that correct, ebonim? And uh, it's a word meaning dual in number. And uh, Calvin thinks that maybe the he was looking at a potter who was using a mold, which we know that uh, they may have used molds as well. Yes, that word that Calvin zeroes in on is the last word of Jeremiah 18, verse 3. And that's the Hebrew word, uh, Abinayim. Abinayim. And it's the ending part that Calvin points out. Well, that's uh, a dual ending. It's like if uh, we were going to uh, take a bus somewhere in Jerusalem, and I was going to pay your fare because I'm a nice guy, I would tell the driver of the bus, Panaim, which doesn't mean two, it means twice, Panaim. Mm -hmm. And that I'm ending is what Calvin notices as that last word in verse 3. Mm. So he's saying, gosh, is that something about a dual, like a, a mold takes one shape and duplicates that? Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. So we know that uh, in the time of Jeremiah in Judah, they were using molds. And we talked about that a week or two ago on the podcast when we looked at the Judean pillared figures, these uh, Asherah that were very, very prevalent, enough right. for one or two for each household. Right. And the heads uh, very often were molded rather than shaped mm. uh, by a potter in a different way. And that's so they could have make sure the heads of these uh, Asherah figures had the nice Egyptian-style hairdo. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Because it's all about the hair. That's Very what they good. say, Kirk. Yes. It's all about the hair. Well, I just thought that was interesting. I thought maybe Calvin was saying... It wasn't a wheel that he was to observe, but a mold. But either way, it works, right? I mean, that's right. The 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 idea that the potter was working with clay that it it wasn't it was marred, it wasn't perfected, it wasn't right. And so, he's, what you can do with clay before it's hard is you can start over and remold it and shape it into what you want. Exactly. Uh, it's interesting that word that Calvin focuses on is only used twice in the whole Old Testament. Right. And the other time it's used is in the book of Exodus, in Exodus one sixteen, where it's used of a stool that's used for birthing babies. Yes. And and I, I think they, they called it the same thing because it was like a potter's wheel, which has a disc above and below. You turn the disc below with your feet, and the clay is on the disc above. So, right, right. Uh, being on a stool reminded people of a potter's wheel. It's very interesting when you get into this, uh, the nuances of the Hebrew language and, and kind of be interesting to know what they, what they believed about this word. That's right. Yeah. Uh, not not a common word, but uh, in, in scripture, but uh, one that they understood. 
Well, it's it was interesting to me when you showed me that book on pottery, just the variety of pots and vessels. Uh, you showed me the some of the various sizes and of uh, oil lamps, which I kind of thought of the oil lamp as more of one that fit in here into the palm of your hand, pretty small. Um, but you showed me some much larger ones. They were larger, they're, uh, about the size of two hands mm-hmm. put together. Yeah. And that was a very common type of oil lamp in Jeremiah's time. Probably could light a nice room. They probably could. Ambiance. Ambiance is very important. Yes, especially if you talk to Mrs. Sexton, that's very important. Very important. Well, each week uh, in our podcast, we also have been looking for what our um, eco-denomination has to say about some of these themes that we're looking at, and you've found a couple for us today. Yeah, uh, eco has different theological documents. Uh, We have the essential tenets, which is the statement that all pastors, elders, and deacons agree to abide by. Uh, as they serve. Then we also have additional documents from different points in church history, which are our eco-confessional standards. So we don't have to abide by them, but they give good, sound theological advice. So today I focused on a section out of the essential tenets, Hmm. and then something out of the uh, theological declaration of Barman, which is part of our confessional standards. And they both have to do about God's shaping of us. So from the essential tenets, this is from the very last section of the essential tenets, which eventually gets into the Ten Commandments and uh, restating the Ten Commandments in a contemporary way. And to introduce that section, the essential tenets say, progress in holiness is an expected response of gratitude to the grace of God, which is initiated, sustained, and fulfilled by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. So, Very close to that Galatians text. Exactly, yeah. right. And it goes on, the first response of gratitude is prayer. And the daily discipline of prayer, both individually and together, should mark the Christian life. A life of prayer includes praise to God for his nature and works, sincere confession of our sins, and intercession for the needs of those we know and for the needs of the world. As we practice the discipline of regular self-examination and confession, we are especially guided by the Ten Commandments. Then it goes into that uh, restatement of the Ten Commandments. All right. And after that it says, In Jesus Christ we see the perfect expression of God's holy will for human beings offered to God in our place. His holy life must now become our holy life. In Christ, God's will is now written on our hearts. And we look forward to the day when we will be so confirmed in holiness that we will no longer be able to sin. Mm. As a pioneer and perfecter of our faith, Jesus leads us along the path of life towards that goal, bringing us into ever deeper intimacy with the triune God in whose presence is fullness of joy. So again, it's talking about that pursuit of what is uh, godly, what is holy, what is virtuous Mm -hmm. as something that is life-giving. We want to be shaped by Christ. We want God's Holy Spirit to be alive at work in us and us not resisting that, but but embracing that, mm-hmm. because that really is joy. And it's a process. I mean, it's not like it's going to be ever complete. We we submit to that um, molding and shaping uh, by God and, and by the, His um, Holy Spirit to 
And uh, we respond, like you said, in joy, but out of the gratitude of what he's done for us. And saying all that, which is all wonderful and all true, we mess up every single day, don't we? Every single day. (laughs) That's so true. (laughs) Which uh, keeps us humble. So we are recipients of God's grace. We, We have to be humble because we mess up so often and need to say, God, forgive me, I, I did it again. Well, and in Calvin's commentary on this section, in, he, he's t- he talks about that, that that's the necessary posture of a disciple to be humble and, uh, and, and be sort of, you know, pliable like clay in God's hands. Right. Not to be so hardened that God will have to smash us. Right. We don't want to be that hard. No, no. That would be bad. And then you have the uh, theological declaration of Barman. We've we've looked at that before on this podcast. Right. And uh, uh, that's from uh, Germans in Switzerland and and there are in Switzerland and Germany and in Austria looking at uh, the Third Reich and trying to say where the church was going wrong at that point. Mm. And it was done in, uh, first they would quote from a scripture, then they would say uh, what's true and then what they reject, Mm. where um, the German Christians were going wrong at that point. Would you like me to read that section? please. So um, number three, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and knit together. That's from Ephesians 4.15 and 16. And then the commentary on that is, the Christian church is the congregation of the brethren in which Jesus Christ acts presently as the Lord in word and sacrament through the Holy Spirit as the church of pardoned sinners. It is to testify in the midst of a sinful world with its faith as with its obedience, with its message as with its order, that it is solely his property and that it lives and wants to live solely from his comfort and from his direction in the expectation of his appearance. We reject the false doctrine as though the church were permitted to abandon the form of its message and order to its own pleasure or to changes in prevailing ideology and political convictions. Of course, this is what was going on in the time of Jeremiah. Uh, the, the people of God were changing according to what was the um, political powerhouse of the time, Egypt. Mm-hmm. And they were being affected by that in, in really bad ways in terms of their worship, in terms of the treatment of the poor, in terms of the treatment of the stranger. Mm-hmm. And God through Jeremiah was railing against all those things. Yes. Uh, it, it, we can't do Christianity light, you know, Christianity and organic gardening, Christianity and, and uh, some other cause that we lift up. It, it's not the same. We have to lift up the cause of Christ and yeah. not just uh, make whatever we're into saying, well, that's Christianity. Right, right. Yeah, yeah it was a uh, an economic and political battleground that Jeremiah was living in. And uh, you can really appreciate, you know, the position he was in. It was a very difficult position for him to be in, to to speak out about these things. Yeah, and of course we live in strange times ourselves. Mm. Uh, A lot of uh, animosity, a lot of uh, division, 
a lot of people just anxious uh, all the time about all sorts of things. Yes. I thought Steve did a great job on Sunday to, at the kind of at the end of the sermon, he asked us to think about when we were broken. You know, the the series is called "When Things Fall Apart." You know, and there's times when things fall apart for us, and you know, and you just you might ask the question, "Why, Lord?" You know, and uh, I thought Steve did a good job of making it making us feel better for those times when we do ask that question. Yeah, it's allowed uh, for Christians to ask those questions. God, I don't understand what's going on. I don't understand what you're doing. I I don't know how I'm supposed to respond in all of this. Mm -hmm. And I bet you everyone hearing that sermon on Sunday could think of a time when they've been broken down. I, I mean, I know there's been times in my life when I've been brought down to my knees, not really asking God, you know, why, but just, you know, in a position of, Lord, I need your grace. I need your mercy. I need it right now. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm broken. Um, and, uh, and I, you know, I felt like a, that pot, you know. Yeah, so I found in my life, of course, I've been in really tough straits myself uh, when I didn't understand why I was going through what I was going through at that time. Mm-hmm. And you get through that and you're like, oh, gosh, glad that's over. I don't want to think about that too much. It was painful. Right. And yet I also want to remember that God has been faithful throughout my life. You know, it's this quandary. Right. How how do I remain grateful that God got me through things without dwelling too much on the tough stuff I've been through? Well, and that's a good uh, reminder, too, to our people listening to this podcast and in this sermon series. It's been a tough go so far. We're in this section of of sin, and there's not a lot of hope. And there's just, uh, you know, uh, Jeremiah has not been very effective in his preaching, and and he likely won't be. And um, But there is some—he's going to have some hope, and he's going to have some, some good things to uh, point us to in the future. And God is playing the long game with Jeremiah, mm. and Jeremiah is playing the long game. It's what uh, God will do. Again, we talked about uh, the idolatry that had plagued the people of God for generations. And once they Jerusalem is destroyed, yes. idolatry is never again a problem like it was in, for most of the Old Testament period. They come back from the exile in Babylon and they don't have that difficulty with foreign gods and goddesses anymore. Mm. It's a changed culture. Mm. So the, the plan of God for his people ultimately happened. If we have the long view to see that. Mm-hmm. So I'm, now I'm at the point where I can look back in my life and say, you know, God has been faithful. Mm-hmm. God has been faithful all the time. Mm-hmm. I have been through the tough times where... It was really tough to face another day. Yes. Um, even with the support of friends and family and other things, just really tough. And yet God was faithful, and yeah. God brought me through that. So reflecting on that, the positive is the how God brought you through it and was, and maybe in the hindsight you see he was with you all along. Maybe, maybe at the, some of these times we don't feel his presence and, and know he's working, but, well, you always do, Bruce. You're a good pastor. You know he's always there working. Well, yeah, don't know what he's doing sometimes, but yeah. <laughs> but 
it, it's at those points where we remind one another. You know, it, uh, we lo- lose perspective. We're overwhelmed. We're disoriented. Yes. And we need our friends there to just be with us and sometimes just to remind us, you know, God's still around. Right. Yeah. Right. You will not always be where you are now. The pain that you're feeling now, you'll, you won't feel this bad the rest of your life. Yeah. That's one of the things I loved about the anthem. I don't know if you got to hear the anthem in uh, the traditional service, but that really talked about the um, that the Lord was with us at that table, even though we can't see Him, and uh, and that it was a foretaste of a of a feast that we will all joy enjoy one one day in in heaven. You know, when there is a new heaven and a new earth. So I, I was. That's what really kind of got to me, I guess, to to look forward to that. And we'll get to that point in Jeremiah when we get to chapters 30, 31, 32, mm-hmm. that yeah. neck of the woods. Yeah. yeah. Well, each week we've also had a quote from uh, C.S. Lewis. I'm anxious to hear what you have for us today. Well, this is from Mere, Mere Christianity, where C.S. Lewis is talking about the phrase born again mm. or putting on Jesus or uh, Christ being formed in us are becoming a uh, little Christ or having the mind of Christ. So mm-hmm. he takes some time in mere Christian to explain what we mean and what we don't mean when we use those phrases. Mm-hmm. So C.S. Lewis writes, put right out of your head the idea that these are only fancy ways of saying that Christians are to read what Christ said and try to carry it out, mm-hmm. as a man may read what Plato or Marx said and try to carry it out. They mean something much more than that. They mean that a real person, Christ, here and now, in that very room where you are saying your prayers, is doing things to you. It is not a question of a good man who died 2,000 years ago. It is a living man, still as much a man as you, and still as much God as he was when he created the world, really coming and interfering with your very self, killing the old natural self in you and replacing it with the kind of self he has. At first, only for moments, then for longer periods of time. Finally, if all goes well, turning you permanently into a different sort of thing, into a new little Christ, a being which, in its own small way, has the same kind of life as God, it shares in his power, joy, knowledge, an eternity. Hmm. That's excellent. I like that so much. Very hopeful. Very hopeful. Yes, even in the midst of this life and, you know, Pastor Steve hinted at our world uh, <laughs> and how crazy it is. And it, that's uh, that really puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Amen. Hmm. Well, I wanted to uh, continue bringing the Reformed quote, and I did spend some time with John Calvin, so I thought I would share with you what he said. I think it was a good summary of what we've all been saying here in this in this uh, in this section here. Uh, this is from his commentary. Um, or a lecture he did on Jeremiah. He says, We may hence gather a useful doctrine 
with regard to the whole race of man. There is nothing certain or permanent in this life, for God can change our condition at any time, so as to cast down the rich and the eminent from their elevation, and also to raise up the most despised of men, according to what is said in Psalm 113, verse 7. So I probably should share what that is. And I have it here. Uh, 113, verse 7 says, He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. heap. Um, And he seats them with princes, with princes of their people. So that's the power of God to do that. And uh, he says, and we know this to be true, not only as to individuals, but also as to nations and kingdoms. Kingdoms rise and fall, just like people uh, prosper and then have difficulty. And it seems like these people were stubborn people who were sort of set in their ways, set on their their evil hearts, as uh, we read in that scripture. Um, and uh, it was a tough job to get them to, to I don't know, they were just resistant uh, right. to this teaching and to this leading that that God had, um, well, was offering um, and trying to preach through through uh, through Jeremiah. So God give us the grace to be malleable, flexible uh, towards God's sh- shaping and reshaping of us. Mm. Help us to be humble. Help us to stay true to what is good mm. and to realize how compelling good can be. Yes. Yeah. And I think Steve kind of hinted to the idea of his sovereign nature, too. I mean, he, he is, he's in control. He can do these things. And then that's kind of freeing. We don't have to be in control. No. Well, I suggested to you earlier that maybe um, I would close us in prayer, and I would like to use the prayer that I did on Sunday morning, if that would be okay. That would be great. We, we've been looking forward to your prayers again, Kirk. So oh. let's pray. Thank you. Gracious God, we know that you are the potter. You made us. You redeemed us. You, recre- you recreated us in Christ to be your masterpiece. We thank you, dear Lord, for not giving up on us when we are less than you intend. Thank you for your patience and mercy. Thank you for continuing to shape us even when we resist you and your work. Help us to live each moment of each day for you and for your purposes. And may we acknowledge you as our potter, not only through our words, but also through our works. And by your Spirit, Help us to do good things, the good things you have planned for us so long ago. All these things we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, you, Kirk. Thanks, Bruce. 